and welcome to the Total Sucker Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who loves to thoroughly review the weekend action. It's my favourite. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. More weekend action. Let's yeah. watch more games from random leagues. So you did you did the weekend review with Ryan. I done did. But it. as is the new tradition, we're going to have the... Uh, the Daryl and Taylor weekend review with listener questions that's a bit more yeah. US focused mm-hmm. um, and a bit more tacticsy. Yeah. Is that fair? A little less Ryan Bailey. Let's get a little it less Go Ryan on. Bailey. Yeah. There's a little less Oasis because you won't let me talk about it. That is correct. I will not. <laughs> um, also, later on, on Monday evening, I think it comes out on Tuesday, we're going to be appearing on a what Premier League quiz show mm-hmm. called Who Kicked the Corner Flag? That is correct. So keep, keep your ears out for that. Mm-hmm. And I look forward to us. Trying not to take it seriously, and then both of us getting competitive when it comes to trivia. I, I think we'll be competing against each other. Oh, good. Right? That's good. <laughs> that won't go wrong at all. I won't be actively working against you from across this table. Things will be thrown. <laughs> Things will be thrown in the office. All right, so this is the Tuesday show. Um, Wednesday, we think we're getting the U.S. men's national team roster. We, according to U.S. soccer, we think it's going to be uh, Wednesday. We should have a review of that roster out for you. Mm-hmm. But I'm hopefully it won't just be screaming and crying and expletives. Yeah, hopefully. Well, I, so I'm going to be going to Boston, uh, part of that clinical trial uh-huh. that we've definitely talked about on the show, right? So there will be some expletives then. Well, there'll be some anesthesia. Okay. <laughs> so you could get Daryl's wackiest ever take. Medicated Daryl. Uh, medicated Daryl talking about Jesse Zard has been selected over Josh Sargent. Every now and then we got one of these recently. <laughs> Every now and then we get oh boy, we get uh, people asking us if we've ever listened to us at uh, like half speed or whatever because yeah, yeah. we sound very drunk. Maybe that will be the case where you <laughs> just, just talk, sound like you're at half just speed. Talk Talk yeah. at half speed. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that should be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but today. Yes, sir. Yeah, today. We're going to review the weekend action via listener questions, starting with. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? Yeah. Craig Muir. Mm-hmm. Craig Muir says A lot of my Chelsea fan friends are optimistic about Christian Pulisic. Mm-hmm. I think rightly, given yep. uh, this weekend's performance, but continually state he needs to, quote, bulk up, unquote, for mm-hmm. the league. I'm wondering at what point um, he should bulk up to. Uh, and he wor- uh, Craig says he worries too much bulking up, um, obviously not bodybuilding style, mm-hmm. may impact his speed, balance, and acceleration. So I say Taylor, no, full bodybuilder. Let's just get him massive. <laughs> as big as possible. It's just a series of circles. That's all I want. But here's what I want him to mm-hmm. do. Always skip leg day. Yes, so of course. I want to, I want Tiny to be little pencil legs. Massively top yeah. heavy. Of course. <laughs> Uh, big bird, if you will. Yes, we're looking for a big bird type situation. <laughs> so, what do you think, Christian Pulisic? Uh-huh. He is like short-ish, right? Five seven. So we did that. Yeah, we did this while we were uh, eating lunch. Five yeah. foot seven and weighs anywhere between one hundred and thirty-seven and one hundred and fifty-five pounds, depending on who's reporting it. Which feels and about right. Between five foot seven and five foot eight, again, depending on who's reporting. Which feels about right. It does. And we have seen him get bodied off the ball. I mm-hmm. remember. Remember the first weekend. When he made his uh, mm-hmm. Chelsea debut in the Premier League, he came off the bench and he had that really smart, quick one-two and he had this burst of acceleration down the wing and Paul Pogba just stepped in his way and floored him. Yeah. Welcome to the Premier League, you skinny man, yes. is what he said. Worth noting, like, Paul Pogba can do that to even the largest of humans. This is true, yeah. But it still stands that, yes, that is a thing that it seems he is susceptible to and that goes back to, like, even with USA, like, against Cuba, like, getting kicked and knocked off the ball a little yeah, bit yeah. By, by bigger and maybe stronger mm-hmm. players does seem to be an issue. So, okay, let, let's start with that then. Do you think Pulisic needs to add some bulk to be successful? Or does the current uh, the current size and weight of Christian Pulisic, um, does that work in the Premier League? I'm not actively trying to be difficult with this answer, yeah. just so you know. My answer is, like, I don't 
Like, I don't think he does unless he needs to. As in, if he's playing the way Frank Lampard wants him to play and he is able to handle it and able to handle the physicality, then I guess he can continue to do what he wants. I think that if there's a chance he's getting knocked off the ball too easily or maybe can't handle some of the physicality, and I think I would kind of maybe agree that that will end up being the case, then yeah. I think Has it probably, been the case so far? Have you seen evidence of that in his first three games? No, I mean, aside from just the usual getting knocked off the ball, which is sort of part and parcel for a person who's 5'7", five, 5'8", five, and yeah, yeah. like 140 pounds thereabout. Like, yeah, you're going to be able to... If a person has 40 pounds on you, as a lot of center backs and midfielders do, they're going to be able to knock you off a little bit. So this is my contention is, if he gains like 10 pounds mm-hmm. and a bit of muscle, I don't think it's going to make that much difference. I think the key thing for Christian Pulisic is he has the speed of thought and the acceleration mm-hmm. that basically he gets away from things before it gets physical. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yes. I like mean, His physicality is his pace, not his strength. Maybe, but I, I think that like to an extent, yeah, but there are plenty of people who are just as fast as him in the Premier League, okay. and especially when he has the ball then you slow down a little bit. Mm-hmm. You've got the, the catch-up logic from FIFA as it is. Um, <laughs> is so, that a real thing? Uh, in the game it is. They're, okay. like, they're always catch up to you if you have a ball because physics okay, say that you should be slower. With the ball. Yes. Yeah, okay. um, so I, I think I'm somewhere in between here of Craig and his friends uh, where I would say that, yeah, he probably – I wouldn't mind him getting a little bit more definition in the like shoulders, neck area sort mm-hmm. of. I'm not, I don't want him to go full Jardin Shakiri, but like I think <laughs> – yeah, a little it's bit more definition there. We were looking at some photos of him when he did the like his Chelsea inauguration or whatever. Yeah. And he definitely looks no correction. Yeah, so it's a very on the Washington Mall. That's what exactly. I did. <laughs> he looks like a teenager wearing a Chelsea jersey that his uncle bought for him that's one size too big. He does big. have very slim shoulders. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so I think maybe a little bit more definition there. Not even necessarily just, just to for be photos? Able to, yeah, exactly. Just to make himself look better in the inauguration. <laughs> um but no but also because there is, I think, like a little tiny psychological element of like if you hit a person and they kind of bump you back, even if you move them because they're smaller than you, there can be that moment of like, oh, okay, they're a little bit stronger and like you can handle things a little bit more. Yeah. So I think, yeah, he probably – it wouldn't hurt him to gain a little bit of muscle, but I also take Craig's point that like we don't want this kind of top-heavy – Big Bird trying to run around the league. I don't think that works either. What about the idea that he's only 20 mm-hmm. and people tend to naturally this bulk up a little bit yep. around early 20s, mm-hmm. right? He's still, in some ways, got a teenagerish body, but he's only just stopped being a teenager, yeah. right? So maybe a year or two, he does basically thicken up a little bit just naturally. Yeah. Did you call it, we were talking about this at lunch, you said at some point you get dad arms? Yes. My, my, what uh, does that mean? My friend in college I didn't was, really wait until to the podcast to get the explanation. It was one of those like weird random college days like on a Saturday where we were laying around and my friend was just like, man, I want dad arms. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you know, like every dad just gets big arms at a certain point. Yeah, That's yeah. how it works. So you guys were like 20 at this point? Yes, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, tw- uh, probably 22 at that point. But and yeah. we also, we did some Google image search mm-hmm. research, right? Yep. So we looked at Leo Messi at 20. Mm-hmm. Much bigger now than he was then, yes. but still a little thicker than Pulisic yes. is. And we looked at Ashley, Ashley Young, Young is the one. who I think is a, something of a good comparison. We, mm-hmm. We'd expect maybe Pulisic becomes a better player than Ashley Young, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. Ashley Young's not a bad player to be, right? Um, I mean, I know right now not, no one's too excited about him, but he was an like, exciting winger and attacking midfielder. My silence day. will speak as no comment. Okay. But Ashley Young, who is kind of a big – he's mm-hmm. got some of body strength now. At 20, the Watford jersey was just like yeah. floating off of him. Yeah. Right? It was. And his shoulders were very narrow. I mean, it, it was like mid-late – 2000s, which is so the time when, like, it, yeah. why not? 
giant baggy jerseys. What yeah, could yeah. go wrong? Uh, but yes, I think Ashley Young is a good example of like what maybe like a similar body type. And I would say also a sort of cautionary tale in that I think of him as putting on all, all that weight around the time he transitioned to being more of a defensive player True. for United. Yeah, right. And I don't even I don't mean to say like put on weight as in got big, but more so just like he put on muscle. You can see he worked out a lot to try to get that kind of physicality up or the ability yeah. to be physical up. Maybe and he should have spent more time practicing defending than body Maybe. Building. Maybe he should have, yeah. Uh, and so that, <laughs> that, was, that was unnecessarily I'm okay with it. Uh, but, but And so I think that's the sort of extreme you don't want to tip into where you like almost look top-heavy, where you look like you've put on too much muscle, and that mm-hmm. can be a thing. And while that sounds like like counterintuitive, like, well, no, you want all the muscle, there are all the stories about different players. Like Josie Altador, one of the kind of frequent – like if not accusations, then like rumors is that basically your ideas at least is that he like put on a bunch of weight and that caused some of the hamstring problems. I believe Altador said that himself. Okay, there we go. Yeah. So not even a theory, not even a rumor, <laughs> just a thing he said himself. Because the danger is if Pulisic does start bulking up now, it kind of changes yeah. changes his body shape, mm-hmm. maybe changes his game a little bit. He's already transitioning to the Premier League with the skill set he's yeah. got. I wouldn't make it harder for him right now by asking him to do the same, but be suddenly be twenty pounds heavier and have to figure yeah. out how that whole thing works. Yeah, yeah. But all right, we have two more Pulisic questions. I think we should just say, just eat a bunch of pasta; it'll go well. <laughs> it's the fish best way. Yeah, get them fish mm-hmm. and chips in you. Carter Schmidt. Carter Schmidt asks. Do you see problems with Chelsea's attack because they seem to lack a true winger? Everyone, including Pulisic, prefers to cut inside. Before we answer this, did you guys talk Chelsea Norwich um, on no. the weekend review? So people didn't see Chelsea won mm-hmm. three two yeah, uh, against Norwich. Yeah, they did with an assist from Christian Pulisic, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. Similar to my answer f- with uh, Craig's question, I would say that like. I don't think it's a problem if Frank Lampard doesn't think it's a problem, um, which is to say that like maybe if they're aiming for Olivier Giroud, you want a wide player who can cross that ball in and put it on his head. But with Sammy Abraham, it does feel like the mobility he offers in relation to Olivier Giroud is what Frank Lampard is going for. Mm-hmm. And to me, then, he's looking for interplay and switching of positions and fast pace, like passing moves. And with that in mind, I don't know if you necessarily need a true like wide player to ping that ball in. And I think the real answer is, if you look at Chelsea's first oh, goal... my answer's not real. No, no, but I think the, like, the definitive answer... Mm-hmm. I really feel confident about this. That's, that's why I'm saying that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of arrogant for me to say that, right? I apologise. Um, if you look at the first Chelsea goal against Norwich, the Tammy Abraham goal, Christian Pulisic receives the ball on the right, mm-hmm. dribbles to the interior, Aspilicueta overlaps. Yep. And Aspilicueta provides the cross for the Tammy Abraham goal. So the reason I don't think it's a problem is that, yeah, Pulisic will come inside, Mount will come inside, um, Aspilicueta, and it's been Emerson, right, a mm-hmm. left-back, will overlap and yeah. they will provide the width. So then you have three attacking players in Abraham and the two wingers central, and you have Aspilicueta and Emerson being those wingers and literally putting crosses in, which is what Aspilicueta did for the first goal. Yep. So that's why I don't think it's a problem. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's a problem, especially if that's what Frank Lampard asks. I would, yeah. would add, though, It that, seems to be his plan. Yeah. It's only it becomes a problem maybe if Frank Lampard finds himself in hot water and yeah. sending both fullbacks far forward to help with the attack can definitely yeah. err on the side of defensive confusion. Well, that's Chelsea's style this year. Yeah. Right? I honestly think that one of the great things about Christian Pulisic at Chelsea is mm-hmm. one, we get to watch Pulisic play in the Premier League, but mm-hmm. two, 
there's going to be goals every time you watch Chelsea one way or another because they play so attacking and so wide open that they're either scoring or they're conceding. All right. <laughs> that, that's a way to put it. I'm sure Chelsea fans like and hate that all at once. <laughs> well, this weekend it was fun because there mm-hmm. were goals at both ends, but they finished up with more goals on the opposition. There we go. That's always the goal. It's <laughs> always the goal. One more Christian Bullis question? Yeah, why not? <laughs> uh, Robert Rowan, uh, I, I like that you, you react to this as though you're not the one who assembled the questions. <laughs> uh, Robert Rowan, uh, if Pulisic had gone to Manchester United, would his current situation be better or worse? I think worse because there's more pressure at Manchester United. Like, Why do you say that? Because Manchester United spent money uh-huh. and they've, you know, they've got this coach and it's like, okay, this is the season. Things have been going wrong. This is the season we get it right. Whereas at Chelsea, it's that things have gone pretty well, but transfer ban, uh, Sarri's gone, Lampard's in. It's almost like we've talked about this a lot, right? You almost kind of get a pass for this you season. Get, it's a grace period. You get, yeah, like you a, get a year grace period. grace period to like, yeah, but like, you know, they didn't really have any signings and we're not sure if it's going to be Frank Lampard yeah. and they're trying to figure stuff out and they got young players coming through. So, you know, like we'll see what happens with Pulisic versus, uh-huh. yeah, Man United, if he's not producing from day one or at least match day three, yeah. you then have some problems and a lot of pressure. And there are definitely headlines about how he's a flop. I haven't seen those yet. I think there would have been if he'd gone to Man United. I kind of thought, I weirdly find it easy to picture Pulisic at Man United because I know there's that photo of him going there when he was a kid and I yeah. think he kind of likes Manchester United but did he didn't like Jose Mourinho is one of the reasons mm. maybe he didn't go in the past. But I could see him having uh, being Danny James, for example. I think that's maybe a good... Uh, is that his correct name? Daniel James? Daniel James, yeah. the, the winger. Like, I, I'm more so like, what do you mean? Well, just if they'd signed Pulisic instead of James, yeah. I could see Pulisic of having a similar start to the season to James, which would be doing pretty well. I see. I disagree a little bit. You do? Okay. I, th- I think of Daniel James, at least for Man United right now, as being more of a like almost blunt instrument of he is very, very, very fast, and you can sort of use that in whatever way you need to, which can be just running at defenses and like playing the ball over the top, or it can be running at defenses with the ball and they're kind of backing off because they're not sure if they can handle that counterattack. I don't think of Pulisic as being, yes, he's very quick. He is not, I don't think, as fast as Daniel James. And so I think he I'd would... I'd watch that foot race. Uh, I think he would lose With it. the ball. I, I, I can... Say with confidence he would lose it because I right? think Daniel James is is the fastest player at Manchester United right now. Okay, so that that's where I come in with that one. I don't know if Christian Pulisic uh, could keep up. Well, I guess we'd have to find out. We'll see, maybe we'll see that in a game. Um, but I, but I also think that Daniel James has been a bit more of a like we'll bring him in when the situation requires if we no, need another like wide attacker. Yeah, and that's kind of been his role so far. And I would rather Has he started. Christian, Didn't he start? He started weekend? this weekend. Yeah. yeah, but I think that's like and scored. Him. This is true. This yeah. is true. He did another one of his sort of like, did he overrun the ball for a minute? I'm not sure. But then he's able to score it. And it's he's a great goal. for the ball. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I just think of him as more of a like, and it does come down to body shape, I guess, to go back to the original question. I think of him more as like a physical runner who can definitely play with the ball at his feet, Daniel James, but is less of a like going to try some step overs, going to try to take people on and slow it down and then do a step over, but then have a 15-yard lateral pass to set up his teammate to shoot, yeah. which we saw Christian Pulisic do this weekend. Exactly. I want to talk about that assist then. Sure. Uh, because the, the implication in the question seems to suggest that maybe things haven't gone well for Pulisic. Mm-hmm. I think things are going great for Christian Pulisic. 20-year-old American playing for a big Premier League team. He's already got himself. He got the assist this year, this sorry, mm-hmm. this weekend with the, uh, what, took a couple of touches and played Mason Mount through. Mm-hmm. I think he, I think it was a, that's a great contribution. He had the, the pass before the pass for the Abraham goal that we mm-hmm. talked about with the Aspilicueta overlap. He made a lot of really good off-the-ball runs. He had the one where Kovacic like, pulls in three defenders and then plays him in diagonally. Yeah. And I think that his shot is either goes just wide or is blocked out for a corner. Yeah. But is heavily still involved. still one-twos as well. Yeah. yeah. I think he's doing great. I think I said this to you uh, at lunch. Again, we're just going to keep referencing our conversation <laughs> from lunch. We should have recorded lunch. We should, probably should have. <laughs> I, I feel... 
like right now at least, I feel Pulisic at Chelsea right now reminds me of like when after he had kind of had the breakthrough at Dortmund where he was a more regular starter we saw him a lot more frequently but we didn't see him scoring goals we didn't really see him getting assists he wasn't Sancho and so exactly and we had but even before but just to clarify like before Jaden Sancho was even there um and and so I feel like it was those sort of games where he played all the time but we didn't see the statistical impact Mm -hmm. and so we had those concerns about like is he doing enough is he going to still be in the squad but then the reality is he started a bunch of games because he was doing exactly what was asked of him and I feel like this Chelsea team is kind of similar that he's yeah. not necessarily the one that they're looking to to score all the goals and set up all the goals yeah. they're asking him to do a lot of other work and a lot of off the ball running and a lot of on the ball running uh-huh. and that seems to be where he's being utilized and I think thus far has been utilized effectively and I think we're definitely a little too obsessed with like overanalyzing his performances because we all want to see it go well yes th- we are not the per- not the one of us who selected three questions in a row about <laughs> well, Christopher Pulisic. I wanted to talk about it. <laughs> exactly. But the, the thing I do want to say is, from from a neutral perspective looking in on Chelsea, mm-hmm. the story this season is the youth is happening, right? Mm-hmm. The the guys that have been on loan forever, Tammy Abraham and Mason Mount, are starting and scoring mm-hmm. and contributing. And Pulisic's the story if you're American, because that's what we're focused on. But the story if you're a Chelsea fan, I think is Abraham and Matt. Uh, can I throw out an idea there? Because yeah. uh, like, I don't disagree with anything you said, but I, I do wonder about that for a moment because you've got these players, Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham, young English players, yeah. and I think... A doy to come back as well. Exactly. Yeah. And I do wonder if there's like an element with the British press of like, this really overhyped American who cost a bunch of money, like, nah, it's probably easier to write negative stuff about him. Like, I, I do think... That hasn't happened yet. Though. It hasn't happened yet, but, like, in terms of the coverage of Pulisic, yeah. I feel like I see less of it than I would have expected, and I think less than he got in the Bundesliga, as an example, when right. he was kind of doing the same stuff. And I think because the English press love writing about English players, yeah. positive or negative. And that, that's what I'm kind of arguing, is the spotlight at Chelsea yep. is on those young English yeah. players. I think that might be to Pulisic's advantage, though, oh, it, I lets okay. him, it lets him have his first 10, 15 mm-hmm. games while everybody's talking about something else. Yeah, right? I think that's probably true. Yeah. yeah, And then even when those 10, 15 games fall off and maybe he isn't performing, like if that happens, it's still then... Well, but they've got the embargo and they've got Frank Lampard yeah. and sorry left. And yeah, we're, they're still trying to figure it out. So I think, again, with all that said, it goes back to he's probably in a better situation at Chelsea than yep. Manchester United. And for me, as a Man United fan, as much as I would like to see Christian Pulisic, I also don't want to be responsible for him not <laughs> playing well and things falling off for him. I'm much happier for Chelsea to handle that that uh, responsibility. I've got a final Pulisic tip for any watchers. Yes. He does look, do you think he looks a bit like Mason Mount? They're like similar, Somewhat, yeah. similar height and build, same haircut. Pulisic's wearing blue, blue mm-hmm. Blue cleats, blue boots. That's how you spark Christian Pulisic because they both positionally interchange a little bit as well, right? They wander around a bit. Yeah. Look for the blue boots. That's how you know it's Pulisic every time. And, and I really do love and don't at all completely hate and despise uh, the new tendency of jersey manufacturers to make the numbers completely unreadable. Right. What is this trend? I hate it so much. <laughs> and I don't say hate. Regularly, I I actively try not to use that word. Yeah. Uh, but I really hate modern jerseys because <laughs> uh, you know what I'm talking about. Like I don't know what that is. That even when they're like blue and white, it is still like I cannot read that number. And I yep. don't think it's just my old age. It seems to be a weird like yeah, we're using numbers that all look the same. Ones and sevens are interchangeable now. I don't like it. We're talking about Adidas here, right? Yes, yes exactly. All right. So. Uh, Plenty, plenty more questions. I'm also still bitter go. from the Portland Seattle game where they both wore green. Yes, right. Okay. Yeah. I want to. Mention, we'll talk about that that game later, right? But I do want to mention the thing. The 
the uh, defining thing for jerseys is mm-hmm. one has to be dark and one has to be light. Right? Yes. It's not just about colours. But I think they've gone really too far in that game with interpreting that, where it's like a light green and a dark green. On I, a green field with green stands? Yes. Yeah. I really had trouble watching that game. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I really enjoyed John Champion just being legitimately annoyed by it. Oh, did it, he talk it about it? In the very beginning, he was like, I'm not sure how I feel about that, but that's <laughs> what's happened. <laughs> Plenty more questions mm-hmm. to come. But first, let's talk about today's sponsor, it's Manscaped. All right. Support for the Total Sock Show comes from Manscaped, the number one men's below-the-belt grooming company. Mm-hmm. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Mm-hmm. And they don't mean that you should like get your your parents' diamonds and, and use it on that. Yeah, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> and if you're Christian Pulisic and you're trying to bulk up, Maybe you don't want to use Manscaped because that could be, you know, I, we don't know what's going on. Like maybe maybe he uses some Manscaped products and suddenly he loses several pounds. That would be worrying and you don't want that to happen. I think he should stay aerodynamic. Okay. <laughs> I think speed is what he's got going for him. He exactly. should double down on speed. See, okay, there we go. So maybe he should be using the Manscaped products. Like similar to swimmers when they shave off every hair on their body so there's no drag exactly. at all. That's what Christian Pulisic Michael needs. Michael Phelps it. Manscaped for the whole body. <laughs> but you don't want to wax it. We saw what happened to Steve Carell in, uh, in 40-Year-Old Virgin. Oh, yeah, you don't want to so be in instead, pain. instead, yeah, Manscaped's... Uh, uh, Manscaped can cover everything, but they help you prevent any sort of accident. Yep. Uh, because, for example, the uh, the Lawnmower 2.0, their trimmer, uh, has skin safe technology, so it will not nick or snag anywhere. You don't have to worry about cuts or bruises if you're like bruises. using it very wrongly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past, thanks to finally. the Lawnmower. <laughs> Uh, this is very true. And they also offer a, a wider vari- uh, a variety of products, even though on the Top Door Soccer Show last week, Travis Clark tried to say that it was already fall. Incorrect. Uh, <laughs> it is still very much summer. And so they have... It's fake fall here in Richmond. It right? is fake fall. One of our it, 12 seasons. Yes. Uh, <laughs> fake fall followed by actual summer followed by yeah. actual fall. There we yes. go. Yeah. Um, yes. But here, so that means it is still very hot. It is still very humid. So they have things like the Crop Preserver, which is an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer for your nether regions. So it's essentially <laughs> putting deodorant on a very smelly part of your body, which you already do with your armpits, so why not do it downstairs? You can get 20% off plus free shipping uh, when you use the code TSS at manscaped.com. Mm-hmm. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code TSS. Always use the right tools for the job. Manscaped <laughs> will allow you to do so. Daryl, I don't know if you listened to Top Drawer, but it really did begin last week with Travis saying, fall is here. I was like, what? <laughs> it's mid-August, Travis. That is not what I think of fall starting. I'm glad you fact-checked Uh Yes, I did. Of course I did. Uh, and I'm now going to move us right along away from fact-checking Travis Clark and yep. into talking Arsenal-Liverpool. Uh, Frank Riley asks, did Arsenal come out with the right tactical game plan against Liverpool? And I'm sort of going to fold in the next question as well, and then we can kind of uh, approach them whatever we want to, if that works for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lucas Newton asks, why would a team constantly play short against a known pressing team like uh, what happened with Arsenal against Liverpool? Is that not an obvious recipe for disaster? Okay, so um, they did not come out with the right tactical game plan because they lost 3-1. Right. (laughs) But I could see what Unai Emery was thinking. Okay. I could see why on paper, in theory, Mm -hmm. in in training, I was going to say in practice, mm-hmm. in training, it yeah. worked. In practice, on match day, it did not. Um, so the way I look at it... Is me- it because in training they were playing against their reserve team who aren't <laughs> quite as good yeah. as Liverpool? Okay. And their fullbacks crossing... I do love good. when teams do that. If, like it worked in training, we played a reserve team. It's yeah, like, yeah. ooh, ooh. <laughs> like, hold on there. <laughs> what was that? Was that a very important word you threw in there real fast? <laughs> so here's the tactical game plan as I saw it from yeah. Unai Emery. 4-3-1-2 was the shape. They kept yeah. calling it a diamond on the broadcast. It was not a diamond. I knew you were going to get annoyed by that. But there's a difference, right? <laughs> With a diamond, there's a base player and there's two guys. The shuttlers go up and down. 
down. Mm-hmm. Arsenal's players didn't go up and down. They had a back four, and then they had a midfield three right in front of them, right? right. It was Shaka, Gendouzi, um, and Willock mm-hmm. played like as a three in front of the defence. Gave up the wings, essentially. Um, made sure that Liverpool could not get those short balls into Mane, Salah, Firmino, and get those nice little Liverpool one-twos going. They absolutely mm-hmm. cut that stuff out and let let Liverpool have the wings and cross from deep. Yep. Right. So Andy Robertson, Trent Alexander-Arnold crossed from deep, and it worked for I, 41 minutes. I agree with you that that was the idea, but I think where the execution fell apart was in the from deep aspect of this. Yeah. Because I think you're absolutely right that the idea was, that's fine, you guys can cross, but we're going to yeah. get somebody over to prevent, say, Andy Robertson from getting all the way down the field, so he ends up having to cross from 30 yards from the end line. And I think they did do that for quite some time, but as soon as that started to break down, and once Liverpool were able to kind of pull that midfield three over a little bit... They and kind of inched up, forward, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. And all, but also inched over. And I think then it was much harder for, if you're the kind of right central midfielder in that midfield three, and everybody slides over to the left because the ball is on Liverpool's right, basically. Sorry, yeah. that's a little confusing, but you get what I'm oh, getting yeah, at. Yeah. If you overcommit by five yards and that ball gets switched... Now you've overcommitted by five yards. That's another five yards you have to frantically go close down. Yeah. There was and, a lot of running sideways from that yeah. three. And so yeah. I think as soon as you start getting pulled out a little bit and all that space opens up, then Andy Robertson is in a position where he can drive forward with the ball or Trent Alexander-Arnold the same. And now if even if they're not crossing, they're still getting possession way further up the field yeah. than I think Arsenal had anticipated or wanted. I agree. I would still defend it a little bit. Where, wherever the cross is coming from, even out wide, mm-hmm. I think... It's Liverpool's least effective attacking mm-hmm. route is putting crosses into Firmino, Salah, yeah. Mane because none of them are like massive aerial threats. Um, and then on the, I think the idea going forward was to have Aubameyang and Pepe with Ceballos as the connective tissue, and essentially we're going to hit Liverpool on the break, yeah. right? And I could see why that's a good idea. Again, maybe against the reserves, but it's not a good idea when you've got Virgil Van Dijk and Joel Matip yeah. covering the ground behind. Yeah, they're right? they're they're more than capable of doing that. Can I say one thing to your crossing point though? Yeah, because yeah. I think this is this. This is the other element that I wanted to get to with the like Andy Robertson getting forward, Trent Alexander-Arnold getting forward. Is you're right, it's probably the least effective they are when they're just putting crosses in for someone to yeah. maybe get on the end of head in. Because I'm thinking Luis Socrates yeah. can head it away, Leno can catch it, and that did happen for a ch- big chunk of the game. But where I think Arsenal are susceptible and Liverpool are dangerous when it comes to crossing is if they're able to bypass that midfield three a little bit, and now everyone's having to scramble back, and Robertson or Alexander-Arnold crosses earlier than expected, as opposed to like, get to the end line, cross it to like the penalty spot see if somebody can head it but sort of drive at them and then play that ball in when everybody's trying to get backwards then you're not set to sort of be able to clear it be able to defend it you're sort of scrambling and trying to make a play at the same time and also track your runner that's where I think holes open up a bit more and then the other thing is if they win a corner Mm -hmm. off some of those crosses like they did then they can send the big guys forward you've got Van Dijk you've got Matip and they're they're genuinely a threat from set pieces in a way that you don't think of with a lot of other centre-backs I want to say their goal scoring record for centre Max is probably the best around. I mean, they've scored at least two goals this season, if not there we three. Go. Uh, and even this goal, Van Dijk makes an initial run, gets tangled up with Louise. I think even a pierce for a penalty, opens a bit of space for yep. Matip to leap, head the ball 1-0. And then Arsenal didn't change. They kept doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, which leads me to ask you this, Daryl. Like, I know you do not like when teams uh, go up, sending both their center backs forward. If, if, like, in the, if Liverpool are 1-0 up, they get another corner, you don't love if they send both center backs forward. Liverpool may be a little different. That's because, my question. Yeah, I think the success rate of Matip and Van Dijk like it's so high that it's probably worth it. And I guess I think of Jurgen Klopp as being so detail-oriented and so organized. Guardiola probably the same. Yeah. That I also expect them to have like their best transitional defenders staying deep in anticipation of a potential counter. Yeah. So yeah, I'm perfectly fine Mm -hmm. with 
Van Dijk and Matip going forward, even at 1-0, 2-0, 3-0, because they're so dangerous. And, and I think, I, and so with all that said, I think I agree with you that where Arsenal set up, how that was supposed to benefit them in their attack, but I do think, so like the idea of like, okay, and then we can get on the break, except that they've got two very good centre-backs, I think that's an astute point, but I also think to... Not just uh, good centre-backs, but centre-backs with pace and yeah. capable of covering behind, so Aubameyang and Pepe can't really hit you on yeah. the counter. Maybe they'll do it once. Didn't Pepe have one good breakaway, yes. uh, but didn't score? Right. And that's, if you're limited to just that one mm-hmm. chance, then... Yeah. Unless you're Crystal Palace. Yeah. Um, but, but, but I think the other issue that uh, came into play here is uh, Lucas's question related yes, to Lucas's question. Passion. That's why I kind of put them in together, is that I also think Arsenal were really focused on all goal kicks short, we're going to move the ball, we're going to move the ball, and I think... I don't know if they just backed themselves to be able to evade Liverpool's press or or if they were trying to like use that press to their advantage and pull Liverpool out of position. I think it's that. I think they were trying to pull Liverpool forward with the short passing mm-hmm. and then eventually, bang, we hit Pepe, we hit Aubameyang. And yeah. we, we sort of pull them in, like draw them up, create space for us to exploit and then we, and then we get in behind them. But it didn't quite work, right? Because what mostly happened is Liverpool put Arsenal in a bad situation. It wasn't, do you remember the one moment when yep. Spurs ends up essentially crossing the ball for yes. Liverpool? Yes. Yeah, that was <laughs> shocking. And yeah. I think right there is where I take Lucas's point of like, I don't know why they persisted with that. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I guess the idea... I can see why they started with mm-hmm. it, like what the idea was. But when yeah. it wasn't working, you, like persisted is the right word, right? They did. Yeah. Unlike Elizabeth Warren, they should not have persisted. They should not have. And maybe it's a... Maybe it's a uh, <laughs> Well done. Uh, maybe they'd say like live by the sword, die by the sword thing. I'm like, no, we just we want this to be our approach no matter what. Yeah. And you can like and maybe there's that idea that like you can only get better at it by trying to do it against the the best team like to deal with that approach. Yeah. And if you can hold your own against Liverpool, even if you end up losing. <laughs> if you can make it here, you'll make it anyway. Kinda. Yeah. <laughs> and so maybe that's why they persisted, is because like, yeah, okay, we're probably gonna lose to Liverpool doing this, but we wanna get a little bit more comfortable and they are going to be the best at making us uncomfortable. So so the next time we play a team who aren't as good at pressing but still like to press, maybe we handle it a little bit more. Maybe. That's the maybe only thing I can that see. Result, right? Exactly. I mean, I I also look at this as the how far Liverpool have risen mm-hmm. is that Arsenal have to have this whole very defensive game plan weird, right? to face Liverpool. It used to be that Liverpool and Arsenal would just sort of set out their stalls mm-hmm. and just go at each other and we'd see what happens. Stall setters. Stall setters. Yeah, but instead now it's Arsenal play Liverpool and have a 4-3-1-2 defend and hope we get something on the counter. Which, which They're is, Crystal Palace, essentially. They are. In that sense. But that, that is also a testament to... I, I may be incorrect because I forget this. Who is the longest tenured Premier League coach right now? But it's either Eddie Howe or Jurgen Klopp, I think. Mm. And I, there's also that element as well. That, like I think I said this on the show with Ryan that... You don't bring in any major signings because you you back your squad to be very very strong. You bring in capable deputies like Adrian, yeah. And so I think they're all very 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 well attuned to what they're doing. And I think everybody kind of has bought into the system. I think there's probably Unai Emery is still trying to figure some things out, still trying to figure out where some pieces fit in. And so I think with that in mind, he is definitely going to be the one who has to adjust versus Liverpool doing what they want. And I've just realised that from an Arsenal perspective, one of the reasons maybe why we can't remember in the preseason preview and even when we. But it's really hard to put your finger on exactly what Emery's doing yes. at Arsenal and what their style is and what they're like. Klopp, you can say it with Liverpool. Guardiola, mm-hmm. you can say it with Man City. Even Solskjaer, you can say it with Manchester United, right? Whether it yeah. is working or it's not, losing. you can say. Well, yeah. but you can say what the style is, mm-hmm. right? Um, maybe it's because Unai Emery is like for some reason more reactive than we realise. Like mm-hmm. instead of having this is how Arsenal plays, I dare you to play against us. It's like 
all right, lads, we're playing Liverpool this week. Let's do this. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's a yeah. bit more of a reactive style. Which, which would make sense, right? Because wasn't he hired to be a like coach and not a manager? In yeah. That he's not hired to like change the whole philosophy of the club and do his own recruitment. It's more like, here are the players you have. But he like there's fit. no philosophy. The philosophy is like, we just set up to play whoever we're playing. Yeah. yeah. Which I kind of like. I like okay. the, the anarchy of like, we're doing this this week and we're doing something else next week. Well, it'd be better if it worked. Yes. I mean, I say that as a non-Arsenal fan that yeah. I enjoy that. Arsenal fans might uh, fundamentally disagree. <laughs> you ready to, to move on? Uh, I am, but uh, I wanted to ask you one more question first. Yeah. So we could move on, but I guess, no, I'm not ready. Because <laughs> I was wondering, did this weekend change your feelings? Not that you were like a big advocate of David Luiz, but it's one that we have talked about a little bit about how... Oh, is it was that a rough game, right? It was. It was. And, uh, and it felt like the sort of old school David Luiz has a, a brain fart, makes a dumb mistake, pulls Mohamed Salah back, concedes that penalty. But he gets then, burned on the, is well, the third goal. He gets burned yeah. by Salah, yeah. But the thing I was arguing with Ryan is that I almost I almost think the getting burnt is because of the penalty because he gets that yellow yeah. when he concedes the penalty. So then it, he knows if he knocks Mohamed Salah at all, it's mm-hmm. going to be another yellow. It's going to be a red. And so I think he limits his ability to make any sort of play. And, and I guess my question for you then is with everything we've just said with Unai Emery and how they're kind of trying this and trying that and moving stuff around and he's trying different approaches, do you think this was like a bad game for David Luiz that should be disconcerting to Arsenal fans? Or is there a chance that it was just more so like they were trying something else and he was being asked to do something that he's not quite ready to do yet? I mean, I've seen Mustafi do worse. <laughs> I feel like that's always your defense. But it is. Mustafi like, is worse. They've upgraded with David Luiz. Yeah. yeah, he had a bad game. He mm. really did have a bad game because he has two really high-profile yep. incidents where he's essentially at fault for goals. But I think in the long run, they're going to be better off with David Luiz. Okay. Yeah? We'll see. Because when we saw him play for Chelsea last season, he was fine. He was like a really good Premier League defender. Mm-hmm. He can't suddenly get bad just because he's wearing an Arsenal right. jersey. We're going to finish this season, then we're going to find the multiverse uh, function. We're going to go to the <laughs> multiverse where uh, Mustafi is still there. Yeah. And we're going to see how they did this season. All right. Can we also find the non-Brexit multiverse? Yeah, that'd be fine. I want to go there. That'd be fine. <laughs> I would have no problem with that. Are you ready to move to North America? Yeah. Yeah? Why not? All right. I mean, so, I've, I've been here for a while, but yeah. We actually have uh, two or three MLS questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to talk a little NWSL first. Sure. Because you made a surprise visit to Audi Field mm-hmm. to see the Washington Spirit was this it a past su- weekend. Was it a surprise visit because it was me appearing or because they were playing at Audi Field? Well, because uh, to me, at least, I didn't know you were going and then mm-hmm. you suddenly were. Well, it, I wanted to go see uh, the Spirit play the Chicago Red Stars on August 10th. But that yeah. was when my, my wife and I were coming back from the beach. And it occurred to me that a week at the beach with like family and in-laws and different people coming and going, maybe at the end of that, driving out of our way to go see a, a women's soccer game like 40 minutes north of D.C. would not be the best idea. And 40 minutes? Oh, because they're at Maryland Soccer Conference. Yeah, it yeah. might just be via public transport, but yeah. I'm sticking with that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I, so I've wanted to see them play. I've wanted to kind of go support the Spirit in whatever way I could. So this felt like an opportunity. Plus, uh, my, my friend was officiating so it mm. made sense to go for that reason as well so we were excited to go up there and watch that game and it was a really good game uh, we got to see some World Cup uh, winners and some World Cup players Marta was there she is very good so played Orlando <laughs> yes I Taylor's take Marta is very good yes but also why like, specifically then because we knew this before sure. but it seems like you've I don't know like, dis- like discovered it in a new way maybe it's um, you, and I, you, and were t- you and I were talking this is going to be I'm not saying Marta is Zidane, although kind of. Uh, but like we, we were talking recently about the Zidane, a 21st century portrait, and how yeah. my wife and I were watching that. And it's like really interesting to watch because he, he very 
in my opinion, very clearly is not trying to involve himself in the game in the first 10 minutes because he's just trying to see what everyone's doing. Like taking and the then, lay of the land. And then of? slowly gets more and more involved to the point where like everything goes through him in the second half. I see. And it was sort of like that, that Marta kept popping up. Orlando kept adjusting to where – if Marta was on the left, then she played on the left. When she moved to the right, then she was on the right now and everybody else. Everything went through Marta. Yeah, but yeah. in the second half especially, she was on the ball constantly and just kept – kept causing massive problems for the spirit but then there's other little moments where it was like oh right she's she's been around the block that like i forget who the spirit defender was or maybe it was their right midfielder but she's trying to shepherd the ball out of bounds for like a spirit goal kick and martha just shoulder shoulder bodied her like sent her flying five yards and the ref was just like yeah no that was shoulder shoulder that's allowed and then martha and then this is what we want for pulisic right? yeah shoulders, exactly he needs shoulders for yeah this. but then martha like pulls the ball back before it rolls out of the end line and then dribbles down and gets a shot off and i think forces a corner but it was just that moment of like oh she's crafty <laughs> and, and also all over the place and also physical and also very dangerous it was very cool to get to watch her in person was there anyone that you hadn't sort of known about before because you know we're somewhat novice with the nwsl right is anyone yeah. that stood out to you that you didn't know about before because weren't a lot of the women's national team players mm-hmm. they've got the victory tour there's gonna be yeah. portugal right so mm-hmm. they weren't involved roosevelt didn't play for example right uh no she did not nor did mallory pew uh i, I liked uh jordan dibiase and eddie sullivan were both very 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 good for washington Andy sullivan i've seen before yeah, yeah. they kind of like uh they kind of locked it down in the midfield for the spirit they kept yeah. it moving and there was a lot more like um how do i say this like probing passing than i was kind of expecting especially with no roosevelt with no mallory pew that it was like like well-struck passes that were going like 20 yards into feet and then there was like a turn and then playing it forward and then dropping it back but then playing it forward again. It was it was like very good precision passing under pressure and I felt like Andy Sullivan and Jordan DiBiase were very uh, integral to that. I also was not familiar with Bledsoe, the spirit goalkeeper. Right. She pulled off some massive saves. She's one who maybe I wouldn't mind if uh, f- whoever the future women's coach is uh, maybe calls her into camp. I have heard a lot of NWSL experts and goalkeeper experts. When Justin Bryant was here, I think he was talking about uh, Bledsoe. What's her name? Audrey? Aubrey? I think that's it. Yeah. Bledsoe. Stephanie Bledsoe. Yeah. Right? yeah. But she had won in the dying moments. Spirit ended up winning two to one, but she pulled one off the line that had she had no business saving. <laughs> like she really didn't. I was sure it was a goal. So were the Orlando players. They were all screaming that it crossed the line. And yeah. it definitely did not. And it did not because Bledsoe got down and like put a big hand to it, but then made the save, but also got the ball out of like the six yard box and away from danger. A oh, I see. It's so not just like a flat parry, but more like exactly. a, a get out of here, yes. soccer ball. Exactly. <laughs> get out of here, soccer ball. <laughs> so Audi Field. Is where the game was. It was. I, I think I read 19,000, mm-hmm. which is not short of, not far short of full capacity, right? It's at 24 at Audi Field. Yeah. So they announced it as a sellout, which I'm assuming means that uh, it was basically for the seats that they opened up. Yeah. They sold all of those seats. So how was the atmosphere? Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it really was. It was, well, it was. it was awesome in the sense that like, it was clearly a lot of people who are just excited to watch soccer who maybe don't want to make the trip to the Maryland Soccerplex. Right. And so, like, my wife was with me, kept asking me, like, wait, are there Orlando fans here? Because, like, when Marta would beat somebody and get a shot off that was barely saved, the whole crowd would ooh as though it was a spirit player doing it. So it's more like Marta appreciation. I mean, just, I think, soccer appreciation. There I was, see. And, like, but, like... The highlight of it for me was that all the players, or at least the Spirit players, a lot of the Orlando players actually stuck around to sign autographs afterward. Uh, not for me because I was a member of the press and press don't get autographs. Otherwise, yeah. you know, we're not professional. But we walked past. <laughs> that is true, by the way. I it, agree with it that. It is true. It is true. <laughs> uh, I just meant more so that that's what legitimate press should do. Yeah. I don't know if I count myself as legitimate <laughs> press. Um, but we walked past uh, so, uh, like uh, uh, father, father and mother with their young daughter who, as we walked by, like literally said, like I my face hurts because I've been smiling so much because she got to like meet all these players and got yeah, to yeah. see a game and so it was cool to see and it was also a good reminder. We've talked about this before, but just like when my wife was playing soccer, 
that didn't exist. Yeah, like yeah. it was like you know you had that's like, why she didn't go pro, right? That's the only reason why she went <laughs> piano instead. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> as everyone does. But it was just it was a cool reminder. Like yeah, you had the '99 World Cup, and that was great. And then there wasn't a lot of like things after that for young young girls to get to go enjoy mm-hmm. an experience. And if you looked around, it was a lot of people wearing the same colors because it was an orange team, there was a yellow team, there was a green team. It was clearly teams had come to watch oh, these. Right, yeah. And it was just a good reminder that like yeah, How many teams we in want DC, that league right? to survive. Teams in DC that mm-hmm. maybe don't want to make the trip to the Maryland the DMV, soccer man. The DMV. complex. The DMV. Uh, DC, Maryland, Virginia. Oh, okay. I see. I think Delaware sometimes gets thrown in there. But whatever. <laughs> Is it the district? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Maryland, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Uh, can I give one? I want to say kudos. To, uh, there were a few uh, reporters in the press box. Uh, so I, I apologize for not naming everybody. But uh, Kim McCauley, Jason Anderson were seated next to each other when we got there and clearly were used to being like one of very few people covering the Washington spirit. So I just wanted to shout them out for doing an excellent job of covering both the spirit and women's soccer in general. they were there when 19,000 people weren't there. Yes, correct. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very true. We have another question Mm -hmm. about Audi Field, but do you want to do today's sponsor before we do do so? All right. Today's show is sponsored by... Go watch Winland Soccer, by the way. Agreed. Also, Uh think about getting life insurance. Okay. Those things aren't related. All right. I'll leave right now. But today's show is sponsored by Policy Genius. But my fear, Daryl, is like I I want life insurance, but it's such an elaborate and arduous task. And I would have to leave here and go do a bunch of research. I assume I would have to go to a library and get books about how to get life insurance. And then it would take (laughs) – I probably need a week off is I guess what I'm saying. Getting life insurance doesn't need to be difficult what? or expensive. The I devil, got, you say. And I've got good news for you. What's September's that? coming, mm-hmm. and September is National Life Insurance Awareness mm-hmm. Month, so it's time for you to get aware, Taylor. Most people aren't aware of that. Um, in fact, most people aren't aware they need life insurance at all. That's why 40% of Americans don't have life insurance. I will go on the record and say that I am one of that 40%. <laughs> all right. And I probably should rectify that. I've got good news for you. What's right that? now, prices are the lowest they've been in 20 mm-hmm. years, and Policy Genius has made it easier than ever to get covered. That's right. Policy Genius is the easy way to shop for life insurance online. In minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape. This does make me feel like I probably should go for Policy Genius, especially my wife is working now. Maybe maybe there will be like the pitter-patter of tiny feet like years from now. No time soon. <laughs> but it is worth remembering that. And I want my dogs to have money if something happens. So. Your feet going to shrink. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and and then I want my dogs to be able to retire well. So, you know, if something happens to me, then they can. So you're going to have the pitter-patter of tiny two-legged feet. Exactly. Right now you've got four legs. <laughs> maybe one day. No, nothing <laughs> soon. That is not me announcing anything. Don't you worry. Well, Policy Genius doesn't just make life insurance easy. They can also uh-huh. help you find the right... Home insurance, auto what? insurance, and disability insurance. For example, if your your feet shrink, if your feet shrink, that <laughs> qualifies as dis- disability insurance. You think? If it makes it hard to get around, I guess. You, what is it? Your feet, your ears, and your nose continue to grow throughout your life. Yeah. So if they're shrinking, then yeah, I've seen some big head old man. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> It's a concern. Big lobes, big, big, floppy yeah. lobes. Yeah. And, and the hair fills in yeah. uh, in the ears, not the head. May we all live long enough to have big, floppy lobes. I like that. <laughs> uh, if you need life insurance but you just haven't gotten around to it, that would be me. Uh, National Life Insurance Awareness Month is as good a time as any to get started. Or late August. Yeah, or that. Uh, so go to <laughs> policygenius.com, get quotes, and apply in minutes. You can do the whole thing on your phone right now. 
Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. Thank you very much to Policy Genius for sponsoring today's episode and for reminding me that I should have life insurance. Uh, maybe somebody will be needing career insurance is how I'm going to transition to Josh Hicks's question. Josh asks, Social Security. Will DC United fire Ben Olsen? Social Security, whatever. Beth's probably not going to exist in like 10 years. If so, who will they hire instead? So will DC United fire Ben Olsen? Mm-hmm. Historically, no. Nope. But we're in a new era at DC, right? We've got Audi Field. That's what they would We've have us believe. Wayne Rooney has come and is about to go, but I think will be replaced. Did you know they won expensive. for, for uh, MLS Cup still? I did. You did but, know that. But not recently. Oh, oh really? But, Wait, but they are tradition, though. I'll tell you what they've done recently. Yeah. They lost 5-1 to Philadelphia. Yes, they did. And before that, when we went to... Who did we see them play? They oh, lost, we saw them play the Red Bulls. They lost three games in eight days. They lost at the time Red of Bulls recording. Yeah. in like, the first part of rivalry mm-hmm. week. I feel like they squeezed two rivalry weeks into one week Yeah, uh, for DC United. They slipped outside the playoff zone, right? So that, to they're, me... They're, they're still in. I think they're only one point ahead now. Or maybe maybe with the loss, they've now fallen out. I think Red Bulls jumped them when they, uh, when they won that game right. uh, last midweek when we were up there. Um, so I think... If they made a strong start to the season and then slip out of the playoffs, mm-hmm. and then Wayne Rooney is gone, I wouldn't be massively. I don't. Know, I have no, no inside information, but I wouldn't be massively surprised if if the people at DC are sort of like, all right, it's time for a change. So this this would be, I think, with a lot of other organizations, this would probably have already happened with this run of form with Wayne Rooney. Uh, I think somebody on the like DC Reddit said he has 1.75 feet out the door, uh, which is more or less accurate. There's yeah, been yeah. the Lucho Acosta drama. Is his is his mind elsewhere, or is he kind of feuding with Ben Olsen? Even he, at one point, wasn't entirely sure why he wasn't playing. It does feel like a team that is very listless. Their performances have shown that, yeah. and maybe lack... It all coincides with Rooney's trip to Derby. Yes, yeah. that doesn't help. Um, and so I, I say all that to say that I think under other circumstances with another team... They probably part ways, yes, and bring in somebody else or appoint somebody who's already either familiar with the club or has been there. They bring an assistant. They bring in the USL coach, and then they kind of see out the season. Uh, I don't think that happens here because I don't think they have that structure in place. Yeah. But I also think because Ben Olsen is such a like legend both as a player and has been there for so long as a coach that I think to part ways with him – does actually hurt that idea of like tradition, you know, family, whatever, what, what have you. I think yeah. that kind of goes against that. So I think for that reason as well, they don't part with him this season at least. But maybe end of the season maybe. if it's gone badly. Because I look at it as uh, when they moved to Audi Field last year, obviously there's that bad start to the season. They were away a lot. Then the new stadium comes. Mm-hmm. Rooney arrives. There's like the Senor Wayne mm-hmm. business, and like suddenly DC are really great for mm-hmm. the second half of the season. So that that was great. But this it was like for real this year, right? Mm-hmm. Like Rooney's already there, Costa's already there, the stadium's already there. Olsen has the full season with all the weapons at his disposal, and they're slipping outside the playoffs. Yeah. So I think maybe th- it might be the time. It might be the time, but then it becomes incumbent upon the ownership to make that decision and yeah. then spend some money to bring in a replacement mm-hmm. and to make things happen. That's not a thing that they have always been inclined to do. So, But if- now it's the thing, right? It's the thing in MLS. I think the correct thing to really hire a big-name coach, mm-hmm. a coach with big ideas, like whether it was Tata Martino at Atlanta or um, Almeida at San Jose. Like right. It's become kind of the thing, and it's it's become, I think, the path to having a really good team is to hire a really good coach. We should have known this before. I mean, well, I, I don't disagree with anything you've said. I guess what I'm saying is I don't have faith in DC United to do that. Oh, really? Like, yeah, that, I mean, I take your point. They built the stadium. Lovely. Now there's a little bit more pressure, but I feel like they sort of not enjoyed not having Audi Field, but they were sort of like, 
eh, yeah, you know, we're transitioning. We're going to figure some stuff out. I think that's why they kept Ben Olsen for so long because I think yeah. there were times when, you know, he was the only one that could handle it and could mm-hmm. handle the situation. But and also, he's a, I think, he's a magnificent ambassador for the club, right? Yeah. He's a great representative in the community and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah. But for, like, it, it was a painful realization for me because I grew up with DC United, Bar Brava. There's all this, you know, like the most intense atmosphere. And then you start seeing more games and you're like, oh, no, that's. A lot, of, a lot of teams have a pretty intimidating <laughs> atmosphere. And I think they might have struggled to get a top-tier coach before they went to Audi Field. I so see. I take your point yeah. that now they have, and they spent the money on Rooney and Acosta. It seems like they're starting to embrace that idea. But I guess I still have trouble believing that they actually are and are actually inclined to make that type of hire. My feeling is that if they were to get rid of Ben Olsen, they look at somebody like a Tab Ramos. That's kind of where my thinking is, is, is it's not a big international hire that's going to make a splash. I think it's a, like... Kind of bit like not no disrespect to Tab Ramos, but he's not a like proven coach at international level. So it's or more at of a senior level or at senior level. So it's more of a like kind of noteworthy hire that yeah, is yeah. probably also somewhat cost effective. Okay, yeah. I mean, he'd get to work with Chris Durkin again. That, well, there you go. <laughs> That's the dream. <laughs> Next question. No yeah. more on this. Well, I think I got a little frustrated last night reading about DC United because I do think that there is a lot of work that needs to be done there, and I don't necessarily put it all on Ben Olsen because, like, the thing I was thinking about is oh, it's years of rot essentially. I mean, like, yeah, they've been tried to be patched up in the last couple of years. The thing I was yeah. I was thinking about is like, like. I'm not like an every game DC United fan, so I'm sure there will be people who are screaming at their headphones for this. But like, I was really struggling to think of the last time they brought through a player who sort of really rose to that next level. And it was like, yeah, like they're like I was thinking like maybe it's Andy Nahar because you think about a player like Russell Kanaus, who we're both really excited about, or even Chris Durkin. That they kind of have this ceiling where now I see a lot of DC fans being like, yeah, Russell Canals is never going to be good enough. He can't handle it at this league. And there was a time when we really? thought, Did yeah. Did you say that about Canals? I mean, or just are frustrated by his like lack of passing ability or his lack of technical precision. Huh. And, I, and I think that like maybe that's who he is, but maybe also there's a lack of like depth and coaching and and overall like advising to help them reach that next level. Yeah. And I and so those are feelings that I have looking at DC right now that it went from like, yeah, they're winning it winning every game while playing at home for the entire second half of the <laughs> season. And things are great. And now so, suddenly you remove Rooney from that equation and things look slightly less uh rosy. All except right. for his ruddy cheeks. Well <laughs> those look very rosy. Well maybe we'll find out in January. Yes. Or, and or- End of DC rant. End of DC rant. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, Royce Alvarez on Twitter, I believe, is also known as Royce the Voice. Mm-hmm. Um, did Jordan Morris play himself onto the September US men's national team roster, which we, again we think will be named on Wednesday, with his performance versus Portland? Mm-hmm. If you didn't see this, uh, Seattle won 2 1. Jordan Morris had both assists. He played on the left wing for Seattle. I haven't actually looked at the box score. Did he get credit for the first one? Because he plays it in and Should then have. kind of like oh, it pings p- all over the place. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't mean, know. I, I mean, he creates it, so I see why you would give him that. that. I was I'm just giving curious. him the assist. He okay. may only have one assist. I bet, cool. I bet he only has. He, right. I bet he officially only has one, but I'm giving him two. That really wasn't me trying to be pedantic. It was more like, oh, yeah, yeah. did he? Because I wanted to figure that out, and then I forgot. No, to. you're right. Yeah, right. pinballed around. All right. Um, to answer Royce's question, uh, I'm like not for me, no. Uh, but I think he was. I think there's a decent chance he was already on that roster. Me too. Bef- even before this performance. So yeah. yes, but probably because he was already in consideration. Okay, so maybe a different way of asking this, so that mm-hmm. we get to talk about Jordan Morris. Were we impressed with what we saw from Jordan Morris? Did Jordan Morris play his way onto our? U.S. Manchester team roster because when we picked it, remember we did our roster show last Wednesday. I'd encourage people to go back and listen to it. I think it was a good show. Our wingers were Christian Pulisic, mm-hmm. Paul Ariola, yep. Tim Weyer, mm-hmm. and I believe Fabian Johnson. Yep. 
it's the Fabian Johnson one that is the only reason why I'm I'm leading like maybe yeah. is just because it's not as though we have like like lights out wingers and then maybe Jordan Morris. Yeah, Th- yeah. There's a lot of room for development and maybe other players coming <laughs> in. Um I struggle with that a little bit because Look, he, yes, the actual assist he gets is by like beating Zarek Valentin again yeah. and then crossing with his left foot to pick out uh, Raul Ruiz Diaz, I believe it was, who insteps. It's a really nice, perfect yeah. cutback, right, with a bit of disguise mm-hmm. on it and no one else saw yeah. it come in. And Jordan Morris definitely knew exactly what he was doing with his left foot. Yeah, so th- that's great. The first one, the first assist that we're crediting him with, it's like it, it's – it encompasses my frustration with Jordan Morris because okay. he's able to get by Zarek Valentin, more on that in a moment, then he kind of plays the ball into the box and something happens. And so you could spin that narrative of like, no, he beats a guy, he gets to the end line, he causes confusion, he plays it in, the goal comes from that. That's true. But you could also explain that exact same thing as he basically kind of runs into Zarek Valentin, who makes a very weak challenge. He kind of cuts, right? Yeah. Like he fakes like he's going mm-hmm. um, away from goal with his right foot. Yeah. Cuts with his right foot and goes to the end line, yeah. but also kind of runs into Valentin, but it bounces off of Valentin and Morris's away. But a, but a better defender stops that ball dead. And, because and, he had a bite at Yeah, because yeah. It's, he dribbles. I mean, I'm not trying to like be dismissive, but the best way I can explain it is like he dribbles into a defender yeah. and then manages to keep the Van ball. Van Dyke takes that away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and not even Van Dyke, but like a, a an international caliber defender, I think, takes that ball away. Okay. And so then he's able to get by and then he plays this ball in and it. And it is a kind of dangerous ball, but it is also the case that it pings around a little bit. Does, but doesn't he find feet with the first pass, but and then it pings around? I think he's actually square ball to I think it's Rui Diaz and it's eventually yeah. Roldan that finishes it I don't think the, the actual ball is that bad okay yeah. but, but it, it wasn't even that it was that bad to me it's just that like yes it is technically a good play but it is simultaneously in my mind not a good play because it relies on a defender not making a, a good play yeah. on the ball and if a defender does then that entire play doesn't happen and so that's the kind of confounding thing about Jordan Morris is for every time he does something well there are still those moments of like but is that good enough? Yeah, or is we, that the we've right had, one? We've had those moments when he's done mm-hmm. stuff for the U.S. national team. Yeah. But it was with the outside of his right foot and it looked kind of awkward mm-hmm. and he kind of got away with it. Yeah. So, yeah, there is maybe that element to it. But I will say um, on that outside of the foot note, mm-hmm. I was really impressed with Morris going down the left and using his left foot. Yep. Not just in these two assists, but I watched like, some of the clips. Mm-hmm. He definitely is more comfortable using his left foot than he has been in the past. It's almost like a criticism of him that I want to half withdraw or back away from because he actually has improved his game and become more comfortable with both feet. Yeah, which is which is all you can ask for. Yeah, but, but I improvement, still, right? Yeah, but I would still say like one game for me does not a, a season make. Yeah, and so it's hard for me to watch that game against Portland and think like, yep, that's what the United States needs. I think he probably still gets called in or at least get merits. He's at the very least on the fringes. Yeah, right? he, yeah. and merits like consideration or will get consideration down the road. And I guess I understand that a little bit more, but I still, if that's what we're looking to, to be the player that solves problems for the United States out wide, I'm worried. It's okay. Yeah, you watch someone like Tim Weyer, and I can Mm -hmm. see him, the way like he connects and the way he plays one twos, Mm -hmm. it just seems like there's a bit more there than there is with Jordan Morris using his cut and pace to get to the end line and fire a ball. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about the idea of his position as well? Because he was. He was introduced to us as a centre forward, right? He was a striker at Stamford. He was a striker when he played for Seattle. He was a striker for the national team in the early days. He seemed to become, because Seattle played this like 4 2 3 1, and Raul Ruiz Diaz has that central striker spot. Yeah, he's good. He's become like a left winger or Mm -hmm. a right winger. And then Morris has then played those positions 
for the national team, right? right? And not always look fully comfortable doing it. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if he's a man who's playing his second favourite position and it's good enough at MLS, but maybe it's not quite good enough at national team. Which I would actually be more okay with him being called in as a striker. Really? I think if, 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 if... We saw his name on that roster, but it was like competing at center forward. That's not yeah, yeah. really a, a, a notation they make. I would no, but sometimes they list strikers, and yeah. it could be Altador, Sergeant, Morris. I would be right? okay with that. Yeah, I would be okay with seeing him going back to a position that I I am more familiar with him. I think he functions better. Again, I'm not. I don't watch Seattle every single day. I'm sure Seattle fans will say like, no, he's great out wide. But for me, the attributes that I think are his strongest would be well suited to him as a striker for the US. That's that's my feeling. I think he has the physicality to be able to handle some of that hold up play and the back to like back to goal sort of play that's required. And I think he has the pace and the physicality to be able to get past defenders. Mm -hmm. Like again, not with he has the, the shoulders for the, sure. the skill that like maybe I would like to see. Again going back to the Valentin point, but yeah. I think he has a couple different skill sets that I think would work as a central striker for the US. And also because that's another position where I don't think we have nearly as much depth as I would like and mm -hmm. I wouldn't mind seeing maybe he could do it there and maybe he does like give us something to think about in terms of playing as a striker I'd like to see what his connective play is like he's coming deep and laying balls off yeah. kind of thing that Altador does mm -hmm. so well I don't know what I think of Morris's sort of coming deep and connecting kind of play I think even more as a running in behind kind of striker all right um do, do you have more to say about Jordan Morris because I have not really else to say about I'm just Seattle. I'm noodling here I'm noodling that's fair uh well <laughs> while you noodle I will throw in another one to say I I get I will also add this though from watching this game I do get why Seattle fans love Christian Roldan and yeah, yeah. it hasn't necessarily changed my opinion because I don't think he he is I don't want to say good enough but I don't think he works he fits well enough with what Greg, Berhal, Greg Berhalter wants to do with that like central midfield. But Roldan played like kind of wide right for Seattle in this yeah, one. Yeah. And, Morris on the left, Roldan on the and right. And caused basically. problems all over the place. And looked sharp and looked very confident dribbling at defenses. I think that Jordan Morris' actual assist starts with Roldan on the right getting the ball, dribbling central and playing the ball to Rui Diaz, who plays it to Morris, who plays it back. But that's Roldan basically making a play happen. And I saw those moments where I was like, okay, I get it, Seattle. I get why you all like <laughs> I him. I get it, Seattle. And... I, I, I don't have that question anymore. Yeah. You but think I, Stephen Fry should be the goalkeeper, is that? Uh, 100%. Of course. <laughs> he should have been the whole time. How was he not? I don't think that. <laughs> he should have been the goalkeeper for Seattle. Let's sure. put it that way. Yeah, that's what, what if Roldan was called up as a winger for the national team instead of one of those central midfielders? My, okay. Before people yell. Like, yeah, yeah. Here, here, this is a very kind of confusing answer. But I think if it were normal circumstances with a normal national team I wouldn't be as upset about it but I think what you and I want to see from this upcoming roster is some proven faces with some experimentation because we haven't really seen that yet from Greg Berhalter yeah, yeah. and that's the only reason why I say I don't really want that is because it's one less one fewer place for yeah. like a Paxton Pomacal yeah. Or, yeah or even like uh, like Tyler Boyd I want to see him called back in and given yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing him start both games to see if he can do more of what Berhalter wants oh I'd see him go 90 both times quite yeah happily. like I wouldn't mind seeing like Sergino Desk be called in and maybe we see if he can be a more like attack minded player for the US like, oh he's played on the wing as I, well for yeah. Ajax yeah I could see him there I, would, I just I wouldn't mind seeing more experimentation. And so if it ends up being 22 of the 23 names or whatever are people we've already seen called in under Greg Berhalter and have already played minutes under Greg Berhalter, then that doesn't necessarily fill me with enthusiasm. Ooh. I hope for extra anesthesia if that's why. There we go. <laughs> yeah. So again, our roster review show should be like Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, right? should work. Should, should be. Uh, Self-Q, 
who is a self-questioner. So uh, this is a question we... It's weird. We, it looks like Daryl? Yeah, this is a question that we wish we'd mm-hmm. got, but I think it's because El Trafico, yeah. um, LAFC versus LA Galaxy, hap- the LA Galaxy, mm-hmm. excuse me, happened so late Sunday night, we didn't get any questions about it, Mm-mm. but we thought it was worth asking. We did. Right? Mm-hmm. Be- um, because there was some consternation, at least from the broadcasters, about why Ibra- Ibrahimovic's second goal, yeah. uh, I guess LA's second goal as well, uh, why was he considered onside? Why was he onside when that ball was played? Because he was in an off side position we think when, so we, I don't think we ever saw the line it looks like he yeah, is when that ball it's was Alvarez played. right plays yeah. it through and we think Zlatan was offside yeah. when he played it through mm-hmm. um, but I, I, I can explain it better yeah. sorry we think he may have been offside but it doesn't really matter because the fact that it never offside position is what yes says, yeah. but also the fact that it never went to VAR indicates right there why that doesn't even matter. Why the offside, whether he was marginally on or marginally off, that they didn't review it says that wasn't the thing that ended up determining whether or not he was actually onside. What actually determined Mm -hmm. it was Walker Zimmerman's head. Yep. So Walker Zimmerman got to the ball, Mm -hmm. kind of, and got his head to it and flicked it on. He made a play on the ball. There it is. Therefore... No offside offense nope. from the attack because Walker's changes. Walker's in fit. And this is mm-hmm. a rule change from a couple of years ago, yep. now, right? This has been around for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the same thing happens for Latif Blessing, right? For for LAFC's goal. Yes. That basically the shot. Carlos Vela hit, yeah. hits a shot into, um, oh, what's his name? It's like a food. Uh, Palenta. <laughs> Palenta blocks it with his butt, but it bounces off of Palenta's butt mm-hmm. and into the path of Latif Blessing, who again would have been offside, yep. but isn't because of Palenta's butt. Defensive action. Defensive yes. action, yeah. Made a defensive and it cancels out because they both ended up getting goals that way. So yep. it's fine. And it ends up 3-3. That game was great. That game was really fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. To the extent that even though I knew the final score, when we had it on in the office today and like the final 10 minutes, I was sort of like, ooh, maybe something's going to happen. I kept watching because the LAFC kept having chances. I would say um, Bob Bradley's decision to sub out Carlos Vela. Mm-hmm. Vela obviously disagreed, right? Threw yeah. his armband to the floor, did some swearing on national television. <laughs> Asked Bob Bradley, what are you doing? Yep. LAFC had a bunch of chances after Vela came off, and Vela had been limping, mm-hmm. and he's very important for the rest of the season. Yep. You don't want to damage Carlos Vela, right? Yeah. I think there was a bit of self-protect, uh, team protection of Vela from Bob Bradley there. But I look forward to that game being the conference final. That would be <laughs> more than fine with Glorious. me. Glorious. Yes. Glorious. I'm pretty excited. And I'll add, uh, Seattle-Portland had that same vibe as well, that even though I knew the score when I was rewatching it, there was still an element of like, oh, but are they going to score? And then I believe Portland did, but then it was called back for offside. Yeah. And even then, I was sort of like into it. Like, okay, maybe they'll score again, though, knowing did, the final score. Did you and Ryan talk about the first three, 33 minutes of that game? Uh, yes, just that you it was... Did. Well, yeah. Do you, do you want to hear my thoughts on it, or do you just want to listen to it? I think I just want to listen to it. Well, what, what did you think of the first 33 minutes? I thought it was a, quite an effective protest. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought the, the atmosphere was just dead. I thought the sound engineers tried to uh, deal with that as best they, they could. They turned the gain up. They, they yes, <laughs> they did, which I was saying to Ryan was hilarious to me because then you could – they had to then correct it really fast because when a player came too close to the mic, it was way too loud. Yeah, and they had to like, adjust it really fast. Yeah, <laughs> You could hear the shoelaces moving. Yes, they tried very hard to make it seem as though there was still plenty of noise when there definitely was not. Interesting that the fans were able to put MLS in that position. Mm-hmm. Put it that way, yeah, mm-hmm. for the broadcasters. All right, mm-hmm. one more question. Yeah. From Ben Harold. Mm-hmm. Ben Harold wants to know, it's a Schalke versus Bayern inspired question. Did you and uh, Ryan talk Schalke Bayern? Uh, we did. So listeners, if you haven't heard that, we, um, it we, didn't go well for Schalke. It did not. We kind of <laughs> held off talking a lot about Schalke just for me to say that like, I think my question I asked Ryan was like, is this a new look Bayern, which isn't that much of a new look. Uh, Bayern being yeah, Lewandowski scoring a bunch of goals? Yeah. Uh, is it them being very good, Schalke being very bad, or maybe both? And I think Ryan kind of erred on, no, this is Bayern being very good and looking very cohesive. 
I still have my concerns about Shaka. I have concerns about Shaka. I don't have concerns about Weston McKennie. I think he had a pretty decent game for a team that lost three. It's like uh, uh, he was yeah. the guy doing the running and most the tackling and the connecting yes. in midfield. I feel a little bit like his teammates let him down. He, it was it was a thing that you and I say often about uh, Bob Bradley that he's asked to do or Michael Bradley, excuse me, that he's asked to do too much for the U.S. national team. Yeah, that's what this felt like for Weston McKennie. That yes. it was like, hey, mark that guy, but also mark the guy, also who's, 15, guy. who's fifteen yards away. Yeah. And and insanely enough. There were times when he did that, yep. when he like marked a guy and also closed somebody else down 15 yards away and did both simultaneously. Ooh, but they still lost 3-0. They did. So Ben's question is, do you think McKenney could handle the lone, quote, controlling six, unquote, role Bearhalter seems to like for the US? This is the Michael Bradley role. Um, so based on what we saw from Weston McKenney, could he handle that Michael Bradley role for the United States? I'm going to give a quick answer, which is yes. Okay. What, why do you say yes? Because some of the passing I saw from McKenney under pressure just made me think, yeah, he's not going to get himself in trouble. And he's mm. also going to add an extra dimension. When he inevitably drives forward a little bit, he's going to add an extra dimension to that U.S. midfield. Okay. I still prefer him as the eight because I think it gives him more freedom to just run around everywhere. And he's got the energy and the legs and the smarts to do it in the right places. Uh, so I actually like him alongside Bradley, like we saw in the Gold Cup. Mm-hmm. But if we're going to try someone else instead of Bradley in that role, instead of Will Trapp, instead of Tyler Adams, frankly, I think Weston McKenney because of the intelligence of his passing. My, my only hesitation there is like similar to I, I'm trying to think of a player who like like I just don't know if he is as inclined to sit deep to just yeah. stay off the ball and not be involved. I think he wants to roam and I think he wants to make plays. Yeah, and that's I, why I set up a firm at the eight. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that like my, my FIFA references are pretty out of date, so I apologize. If FIFA ninety five. Do you think you can run away from the referee and not get a card? I mean, that'd be great. I hope so. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, what I was going to say is like you know when you move a player around from like if they're a right winger naturally and you move them to left wing, how they'll go from like an eighty five to an eighty two. Yeah. Like it doesn't kill their performance as opposed to like if you take a striker and put them at defense, they go from like an eighty five to a thirty. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think of it like that. Like I think of him of if he's an eighty five playing as like that number eight for the U S. and you move him to a number six, I think he drops to like an eighty. Like, I think he's still fine and still okay, but I don't think it, like, accentuates the things that make him a very unique player and a very good player. I would disagree with the word unique, though, because I think Tyler Adams has that yeah, unique same is the wrong word. energy. You're right. And I think we could have Tyler Adams running around in the eight spot. Yeah. And I, I trust McKenney's passing more than Adams. Like, do you remember the ball... Um, in the so there's a, if you if listeners haven't seen this in the 82nd minute of mm. Schalke versus Bayern, McKenny like strides through midfield, puts a through ball for Bergstaller. Mm-hmm. Really should have been an assist, right? Because Bergstaller goes around Manuel Neuer and then somehow with an open goal hits the post. Mm-hmm. Like that ball was impressive, but previous to that, there's that one where he's under pressure from Lewandowski and he doesn't play the obvious ball. He sees this like interesting crossfield ball which starts the whole play. I remember you being really impressed by it when we, we rewatched it in the office. That's the stuff I like from McKenney at the six. He will see clever passes that no one else can see, and that might be the key to unlocking things for the United States. I don't disagree that you lose the mm. running everywhere, closing people down, all action Western McKenney, but I don't think we've got anyone better except for Michael Bradley at that passing role. I mean, I, I still I think I might disagree with you a little bit because okay. I, I have moments where I think of Tyler Adams as being very good in distribution in terms of short passing and long passing and through balls. And I think where some of my hesitation with McKinney comes from, and maybe playing as a number six like alleviates some of this, but like it's worth noting that Byron free kick that Robert Lewandowski scores, it's because Weston McKinney commits a foul. And he yeah. commits a foul because basically he runs out to try to put pressure on somebody. Not necessarily his fault, but he's trying to make a play because somebody is wide open. Yeah. And he and he basically 
it looks like Michael Bradley. That frustration that people have about Michael Bradley just getting rounded really easily—that's what happens. And I think, it's, and then he has to pull the player down. It's a free kick. I don't disagree. I think it's almost the a problem in the it's the other side of the coin. Like Bradley maybe doesn't go and pressure the ball enough and pressure the man enough. McKenny maybe goes too fast too hmm. much mm-hmm. right McKenny's almost more like Jermaine Jones which is kind of his role model at Schalke when yeah. he was a kid right where you could say that he's a little undisciplined in terms of he's going all in to get the ball he's mm-hmm. going to charge someone down and that could be a different kind of problem than Michael Bradley doing the defensive crouch and backing up yeah I mean so we kind of lose either way I mean that's literally my primary concern with that is yeah. that like like because he's he's a very intelligent player obviously he's playing professional soccer in the Bundesliga for what should be a very good team <laughs> but, like but with all that said i still have that fear that like yeah he is going to go like roaming out to try to make a play which is literally what we don't need that number 6 to do yeah yeah so maybe not just yet as a 20 year old but maybe it's a position he matures into as a 23 24 year old and if people would stick with michael bradley for just a couple of years mm-hmm. we might have a smooth transition there uh, yes. Okay. I'm with that. And I will also add that similar to me saying, like, I wouldn't mind seeing Jordan Morris play as a central striker because we don't have that much depth there. You are correct that we do not have that much depth, or at least depth I am comfortable with yeah, uh, outside of Michael Bradley. So, yeah, maybe we maybe we do see if Weston McKinney can do it because all he can do is be given the chance and see if he lives up to it. So yeah. why not? And <laughs> flip side of me saying I've enjoyed watching Pulisic at Chelsea because then Chelsea are really fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Oh, Schalke. <laughs> It's, I love watching McKenney. I hate watching I'm, Schalke, I'm, I'm even real, under David Wagner. I'm real nervous about this season because oh. they – I think what they were trying to do is play basically a 4-4-2 defensively deep when they needed to. Right. When they were trying to step out and provide pressure, I think one of the center backs would step into the midfield and then I think it was McKenney who was allowed to step further forward and it became almost a 3-4-1-2. Mm-hmm. But with all that said – there kept being a spare Bayern player in central midfield every single time, which is why he kept having to make plays. And it also just felt like Schalke had the like the hour version of a high-press system when we play indoor, where sometimes we're on it and sometimes it's like, oh, right, pressing. And then like they all go running. Like two people forget. Yes. And, and so, everybody presses, but there's two wide-open dudes. And then, yeah. as, and then as soon as those two guys remember and they go to press, they're bypassed, and now everybody else has to scramble. And yeah. I know we're people only... People who played with me on that team yeah. know that that gives me an annual. It sure does. <laughs> uh, and so I know we're very early in the season and things could certainly change or turn around. But there were just moments in this game where I was like, ew boy, Schalke have not quite learned how to do that. And then yeah. to your earlier point, Schalke have not yet learned how to finish either. <sighs> oh, and speaking of that extra man in midfield, uh-huh. um, if you don't mind me indulging me on this a little bit, do you remember the whole Greg Berhalter, Nick Lima role, Tyler Adams role? Yeah. Where the right back would, when we attack, go into central midfield? Mm-hmm. That's what Bayern did with David Alaba. Yep. I don't know if you spotted this or not, but David Alaba was their left back. But when they attacked, he would sometimes go down the wing. He would sometimes go alongside Joshua Kimmich and form an extra and create an extra man in midfield. That thoroughly confused Schalke. It was part yep. of the reason McKenney had to run all over the place. So it was just really interesting to see it um, to see a team execute it effectively and see it really work. And to see it used in a varied approach, because I think the key thing you said there was that sometimes David Alaba yeah. would still bomb down that wing. You would still see him down by the left yeah. corner flag getting crossed in, and then sometimes you would see him in central midfield, and it's really hard to predict where he would go. Yeah. Whereas I think, I, I believe I'm correct in saying that when we saw Nick Lima doing that for the national team, it was pretty consistently yeah. moving centrally. Yeah, there was no getting, yeah. yeah, and maybe that's what they were building towards, but you're absolutely that right my that, guess. that that caused some big, big problems uh, for Schalke in figuring out where David Alaba was at any given moment and really why hard. there was suddenly overloads everywhere. It's really hard to set up, right? Uh-huh. Like we, that we might get overloaded down the left when Alaba comes flying down. We might get overloaded in central midfield if he goes central. We just don't know what this guy's going to do. We do not. Oh, we yeah. do know Byron going to be real good. 
Yeah. Real, real good. As per usual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. Any other weekend action uh, notes, or would you like to move to scouting? I think we can move on to scouting. Okay. All right. So, the Total Soccer Show Scouting Network. So, we have a, a good chunk of reports to get to. We certainly do. I would like to start with... Philip Gibson, mm-hmm. not least because he's first on the list. All right. Philip Gibson is scouting <laughs> Pierre de Silva. Remember Pierre de Silva? 21-year-old American winger for Memphis 901. That's not where I remember him. Things have happened. Things have happened. Philip says de Silva and Orlando City mutually decided to part ways. That was a big thing that happened. Allowing Pierre to join Memphis 901, who play their first game on August 28th. Are they a NISA team? I, I'm guessing so. I'm not fully understanding what's happening. Maybe they're playing some friendlies to get ready. Who knows for sure? Okay, I don't often do this, but uh-huh. I'm going to Google mid-show, just Memphis 901, right. and see uh, Memphis OPQ. Nope, my thumb's too fat. <laughs> I, I think you should <laughs> definitely narrate everything you're doing right now, and I mean that sincerely because I think listeners need to know the process that's going into this Googling. So you put in the wrong words, now you figured it out? Memphis 901 playing the USL Championship. There we are. There we go. But they play their first game on August 28th? He... Maybe he'll play his first Maybe game. Maybe he will, 28th? or yeah, I'm going to guess it's that. He will play his first game on August 28th for Memphis 901. There we go. All right. Okay, problem solved. Kaz Tidrick scouting Robbie Mertz, 22-year-old American midfielder for the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. Robbie went the full 90 in the Hounds' 1-0 home victory over Loudoun United. Robbie appeared to play a more defensive role than he usually does, including making several key tackles to help keep the clean sheet. Well done, Robbie. Mark mm-hmm. Canterman is scouting Christian Kappis. Is it Cappy? Cappis? Christian Cappis. We do this every time. We've never come to a conclusion. Mark, let us know. 20-year-old American midfielder out for Hobro. All Mm -hmm. right. Christian is set to make his fifth straight start for Hobro against Odense Bold Club, cementing his role in the starting lineup after turning 20 on August 13th. Hobro currently sits eighth in the Danish Superliga. Do you think their opponent this weekend play bold soccer or not bold soccer? I'd say they're they're a bold club. Okay, cool. Cool. Good to know. (laughs) Uh, Ed Ritter, scouting Ben Mines. Shake heads all around. Of course. 19-year-old American attacker for New York Red Bulls 2. For the first time in many months, Ben started and went the full 90 for New York Red Bulls 2 in their 2-1 win uh, versus Nashville so now we have our answer oh wait no Nashville not Memphis very different cities <laughs> yeah Nashville's in USL but will be in MLS very soon I'm confused by things James Porter is scouting Troy Parrott 17 year old Irish striker for Tottenham and if you heard our Tottenham preview with Nathan Clark he's basically the only other centre forward that's not Harry Kane hey <laughs> James says Troy Parrott had quite a roller coaster week just hours after being named to Ireland's provisional squad for the Euro 2020 qualifiers he banged in two goals for the Spurs under 23s against Man City's under the 23s. Um, the City defence eventually had enough and clattered into him repeatedly, hacking him down from behind in a yellow card offence. He was subbed out soon after and the Irish Mirror reported the injury will put his dream debut on September 5th in doubt. Yikes. Not great. Uh, also not great, sort of, is the report from James Jones scouting Andrew Carlton, 19-year-old uh, American attacker for Atlanta United, uh, specifically Atlanta United 2. Okay. Uh, Andrew got his uh, the start with Atlanta United 2 in a 2-1 to win over the Swope Park Rangers. He started again this past weekend against Hartford Athletic. His performance was a classic good Andrew, bad Andrew. <laughs> in the 57th minute, he pounced on a deflected pass into the box and finished from a tight angle to draw Atlanta United level. Atlanta United 2 level, excuse me. Then he picked up an MLS assist when he played a beautiful diagonal to a teammate who crossed to the head of Brandon Vasquez for a go-ahead goal just two minutes later. Okay, this is going well. And then in the 85th minute, uh, with the score tied, uh, he lost a challenge, committed an intentional foul and a cynical foul at that that deserved a yellow, which was later upgraded to a red card because of either his language or the argument from Hartford or just general lack of sporting nature uh, of the challenge itself. I'm going to guess his language, right? Hartford can't protest a yellow into a red. No. But Andrew Cotton's mouth can get a yellow to a red. It certainly can. Any place. Uh, And the 10-man Atlanta twos would go on to lose on a late header. Oh. 
Oh, Marcus Goodrich is scouting Shiloh Tracy, the 21-year-old English right-winger for Tottenham. Marcus says Shiloh scored in his first game of the season with Tottenham's under-23s against Liverpool, got an assist against Man City. Tracy has played an important role on the wings so far, despite rumours that he'd be moved on this summer. Great Hair Gaming scouting Indiana Vasilev, the 18-year-old American midfielder for Aston Villa. Indiana was subbed off in the 50th minute of Villa's Premier League 2 match against Swansea, not Sweden. Um, (laughs) In addition, a leaked first-team squad list for Villa had Indiana listed as number 36, which maybe means uh, he'll be making a low-level cup appearance this season. EFL Cup, here we come. Let's hope. Russell Findlay is scouting Eric Palmer-Brown. I know what happened here. 22-year-old American centre-back on loan at Austria Vienne from Manchester City. Russell says EPB got his first start for Vienne and went 72 minutes. And was then given a straight red. Oh. Sent off in his debut. Not great. Mm-mm. Not what you want. Uh, Chase Poole scouting Getson Fernandez, the 20-year-old Portuguese midfielder for Benfica. Getson has been hurt all summer with a metatarsal fracture and has missed the start of the season. He has still been linked with a number of Premier League clubs, most loudly Wolves. Winners but, of the TSS Derby. Of course. Uh, we're going to get that every time. I can't wait. Uh, but Benfica still <laughs> Only till February. Oh, good. Uh, but Benfica selling Joe Felix this summer means they haven't been too inclined to sell. Fair enough. Scott Friedman is scouting Emre Moore, a former sort of rival of Christian Pulisic to yeah. get minutes at Dortmund, right? Scott, former. Scott Friedman scouting Emre Moore. Former. He's a 22-year-old Turkish winger on loan mm-hmm. at Galatasaray from Celta Vigo. Moore was loaned to Galatasaray to play under Fatih Tarim, who managed him at the 2016 Euros, which was also roughly the last time he looked promising. Burn, but also accurate. Uh, Kyle of... Oh, That's a hilarious scouting. It's real good. It's real good. Well done, Scott. Well Well done, Kyle of Michigan, for scouting Jonathan Gonzalez, even though it makes me sad. Jonathan Gonzalez is the 20-year-old Mexican midfielder from Monterrey. Uh, For the first time since Tata Martino took over as coach, Gonzalez has been caught up to the Mexican national team camp. That's to play us. Uh, Yes. Bummer. Previously, Gonzalez only played in two friendlies for the Mexican team in 2018. This is all welcome news since Jonathan has only played in one of the first five league games for Monterrey in uh, the Apertura. I did not know that because normally we think he starts every game, right? We do, Mm. but he doesn't. Final report from today. Mark Spicer is scouting Michael Cuisance, the uh, 20-year-old French... Excuse me? Cuisance. Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. I'm just getting fancy. 20-year-old French midfielder for Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich? You should... Day after his 20th birthday, mm-hmm. Mikhail joined Bayern from Borussia Mönchengladbach for a reported 10 million euros transfer fee. Mm-hmm. It seems low. Rumours were that he was unhappy with the amount of playing time at Gladbach, but will find it equally hard to break <laughs> yeah. through at Bayern. Yeah, no kidding. Where he will likely back up Thiago in Bayern's midfield and some other guys as well. I wonder if that is... Like He's a, highly rated, though. He is. I do wonder if that's like a legitimate excuse in Germany, though. Like, um, yeah, I'm not playing for Gladbach, so I'm going to move to Bayern, where, like, it's Bayern. It's fine. I don't have to play for that. <laughs> it's more acceptable not to play there. Schalke need players. Join Schalke. Yes. <laughs> Schalke need to spend money? Maybe they don't want to do that? They need a non-Bergstahler striker, in my opinion. They need a lot of things, yeah. including maybe a new owner. <sighs> All right. Thank you to everybody mm. for the scouting reports. I made some scouting assignments over the weekend. I actually spent my Saturday night assigning <laughs> people with uh, Living with it scares. up. Living it up on a Saturday night. Um, if, you would, if you've signed up for the Scouting Network, haven't received a player, please email me, D-A-R-Y-L, Daryl, at TotalSoxShow.com. Subject line, get it together. Oh, yeah. All subject caps. line, get it together, all mm-hmm. caps, and I will We'll get it together. Middle if finger you, emoji in there too. If you would like to support the Total Soccer Show, you can be a silent scout mm-hmm. where you don't actually have to scout anyone, or you can be a scout. Um, you go to totalsoccershow.com slash join. All the details will be there. All right. And then we also have the whispering scout option, right? It's between normal scout and silent scout where yeah, you're just you, like... you send your reports in very small fonts. He, he did okay today. <laughs> <laughs> Two point fonts. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, Taylor, I've missed talking Please to you. Please don't do that. <laughs> 
All right, so we will be back on Wednesday with a US national team roster review. <laughs> you sure about that? <laughs> I mean, again, anesthesia <laughs> yeah. could be weird, right? I'm having that biopsy. Uh-huh. Um, I will be in Boston. Taylor will be here. Sergino Desk will be on the roster. Yes. Fingers crossed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Be so mad if he's. And I'm excited to see Jordan Morris at right back. Let's make this happen, <laughs> folks. Let's make this happen. Oh. Mm. And then no Josh Sargent, but yes, JLC Zardes. Yep. And uh, no, who else do we? Who else do we want to see that's marginally exciting? Seven wheel traps. No Christian Pulisic, but yes, Christian Roldan. There we go. Perfect. <laughs> Yeah. And Michael Bradley starts in two positions. And if you want more Total Soccer Show, you've you got three options. And Jurgen Klinsmann coaches. You could listen to Soccer 101, mm-hmm. which I know a lot of people have, but some people haven't. Yep. You, know, you know who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, you could listen to Who Kicked the Corner Flag, should yep. be out on Tuesday, I believe, which is the, the Premier League quiz show we'll be on, reviewing the weekend action once again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this Thursday, we should be, unless they cancel us, <laughs> we should be on the Sports Illustrated podcast yep. with Grant Wall. We so, should be. Uh, Grant interviewed us about the Total Soccer Show. Mm-hmm. I think it was a really good interview. I, I sort of forgot I was being interviewed and yeah. just had a good time chatting. Is that we were chatting? Just, yeah, you you forgot of. it was recorded and on the record? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't believe you said all the offensive things you said. I know, crazy. right? So definitely listen to that Sports Illustrated show to hear all the offensive things I said. <laughs> Taylor Rockwell. I think Panda Bear should be allowed to exist, Daryl. I, I can't believe you, you felt that way. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners and Panda Bears, <laughs> thank you for listening. We will talk to you again soon.